You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Let me go into what really woke me up. This shook me to my core. And I saw this study come across my email, and it was titled, Has the Earth's Sixth Mass Extinction Already Arrived? What can they teach us? For example, Burmese pythons. Like that's a big thing we hear in Florida. Is we have these huge snakes now in the Everglades that are eating alligators. Many species are in crisis and need your help. This is to get you energized and excited about. Okay, what can I do? And that's what we're going to be doing in this podcast. Is we're going to be talking a lot about what you can do. Who you? Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast, and I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. Next episode, I'll be joined with Dr. Angie Atkin, who together, her and I have come to create this podcast in hoping to educate listeners on the many species that we share this planet with. Both Angie and I have dedicated our lives to learning about as much as we can about these animals, their physiology, their behavior, because both her and I are very, very interested in, in focused on conserving endangered species. Uh, we both recently have been involved in a lot of research with uh, elephants and rhinos and manatees and some other species of, of hoofstock zebras and, and Somali wild ass, just to name a few. And we thought, you know, there isn't a podcast out there about animals. We wanted to come together and share our passion with you each week. So we're going to see how it goes, and to give you an idea of why we think this is such an important program for you to subscribe to and listen to is really what this prelude is about, and that is the, the current status that we see around the planet with many species that are very, very at risk of disappearing from the Earth forever. So to start out, I just kind of want you to imagine you know, you're in Africa, it's it's the late 1850s, mid-19th century, and we'll place you in South Africa. It, it's hot, it's the sun's blazing, it's up uh, overhead, and you can see a small party hiding behind a, a green thicket. And in the front of that party is, is a European gentleman. He's in that garb that, you, you know, you see in the movies of the old explorers and, and African explorers, they've got that safari hat that's like the duck bill in the front and the back. And he's there with his, his guides, the local uh, Africans that have guided him to this spot, the perfect spot to, to ambush this animal. And the gentleman lifts up his, his heavy rifle and he peers down the scope and he sees this large gray mass. And it's this large, beautiful bull elephant with two beautiful long white ivory tusks and he aims carefully and he fires bam and this big ball of smoke comes out the rifle because that's how these were back then you know they weren't smokeless rifles they they, these black powder just make this huge smoke and uh smoke ball they were known to be highly inaccurate so this ball whizzes and just injures the bull elephant doesn't kill him like it should have or like he intended, the hunter intended to. The bull elephant turns. He can see where the shot came from because now there's this big cloud of smoke, and he starts to charge. And the European gentleman, 
you know, reaches over to grab his next rifle, and who knows who wins. You know, the elephant had a shot to uh, to trample him or to escape, drive off the, the hunter that was trying to kill him, or maybe the hunter got lucky and and got a second shot off that, that struck home and, and killed the elephant. That happened. That happened 150 years ago. Now, take you to today. What's happening right this second, or in the last 24 hours, this happened on Earth. You have not a European gentleman who paid lots of money and sailed down to Africa to, to bag an elephant. Now you have a group of poachers that are in the same thicket. And they all are armed to the teeth with automatic weapons and a couple heavy rifles, the sniper rifles that easily can take down an elephant. They're probably wearing some camouflage, so they hide well, and the elephant can't really see them. And these large boar rifles with one shot easily can take down any, any game on Earth. And so they aim, and they fire. And let's say they missed, or let's say they just injured the elephant. The elephant looks around, he doesn't know where the shot came from. Bam, another shot, the elephant's dead. And that's happening about every 15 minutes on Earth. About 100 elephants are, are, are killed a day, which is uh, horrifically sad. But again, what drives our passion on educating people on these animals. So let me take you to a new issue. This one a lot of people aren't aware of. I wasn't aware of it until a few years ago. I, I, I saw a show discussing uh, this major problem. And let me kind of set the stage again. You know, let me go back 50 years, and there's this fisherman in Asia somewhere. And this is typically where a lot of this is happening. He goes out. His, his wife, he's a newlywed. He just got married, and so she made him a nice lunch, and she, she wrapped it all in paper. And he goes out on his little boat and his little fishing nets that, that have taken him weeks to, to weave and goes out in the delta and, and he, and he f throws his net and catches some fish in the morning. He takes a break. He opens his lunch that his newlywed or newly married wife uh, gave him. He opens it up, you know, eats some of the fruits, eats some of the, the sandwiches or whatnot. And he just throws it in, in the river. No big deal. You know, it's paper. So it uh, doesn't give a second thought about it, and then goes back to, to fishing. That paper takes about two to three weeks uh, to degrade completely 100%. So just keep that in mind. Today, this is happening again. I said right now today, you, you, you take the same gentleman. It's 40 years later. His wife of 40 years has made him a lunch, but now she's wrapping it in plastic because everything is so readily available in plastic and, you know, gives him a water bottle that, you know, maybe he, he keeps that water bottle each day, but it's just a plastic water bottle. And he goes out and he does his morning fishing. And even if he's conscious and tries to, to not throw his trash in the ocean, um, a lot of, you know, they don't have, a lot of these countries do not have, you know, the, the recycling centers or the trash centers that we have in a lot of industrialized nations. So even if he brought his trash in, they usually dump it in the river. So either or, he either throws it in the river or, or later on throws it in the river, and, and that plastic bottle gets knocked in, in the river. And now you're talking about things that take four or 500 years to completely degrade. So the river is carrying a lot of this garbage, and it's taking it out into the ocean. And in the ocean, a lot of these currents 
are gathering up, these ocean currents are gathering up the garbage to where now there is this thing called this Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And I didn't know this existed. It, it's, it's astonishing that that is actually out there. I, I did not know. This Great Garbage Patch is about the size of the country of Mexico. That's how big it is. It, that is insane. That is crazy that we just have this large floating patch of plastic, majority plastic garbage floating in the Pacific Ocean, which is slowly degrading. Again, it takes a, a plastic bottle about 400 years to degrade. You know, tin cans, about 50 years. Aluminum cam, 200 years. A glass bottle is like a million years, they think. They, they don't know. But and even that fishing line I was talking about, if that fishing net that that fisherman's using today, well, a lot of it's now plastic or, or you know, some synthetic material. Those take almost a thousand years to degrade. So you have this large, huge garbage patch the size of Mexico floating in the ocean with it slowly degrading, leaking these chemicals and plastics into the ocean, which then the fish and the, and the sea life ingest. And some of us, actually, that ingest fish from the oceans are ingesting some of this plastic. So, again, it, 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 I didn't know it existed, and I'm just astonished that it is. And there are some scientists working on trying to get that cleaned up, but the size of Mexico, it's just, it's just insane. It's just crazy. One more. Okay, one more story. And just to kind of, again, setting this up, and, it, it, and the purpose isn't to make you feel bad. The purpose is to get you engaged and get you excited about conservation and, and, and be knowledgeable. I think that's the big thing is, is we need to spread the knowledge. That, that is really the purpose here. So, you know, a lot of us have heard about the rainforest and the cutting down of rainforest. I mean, it, you know, most people have heard about that. So just to kind of give you some background, in our atmosphere, about 20% of it is oxygen, and that's what we need to live. We need oxygen to live. And the rainforests only produce about 20% of that oxygen. So, you know, we say the rainforests are the lungs of Earth, and that's what produces a lot of the oxygen. That's actually not true. It, do, it does, it's important, but it's not the most important. Actually, the ocean is the most important. It produces most of the oxygen, the, uh, the microbes and stuff in the ocean. But again, the rainforests are very critical to not only producing some oxygen, but also for, for habitat. A lot of species, I mean, it's so diverse. The, the, the animals in the rainforest are so diverse. So, you know, really got to look at preserving the rainforest. Now, what's happening, let's say we go back 40, 50 years, you know, they were clearing some rainforest, but they were doing it slowly. I mean, the technology at the time wasn't that great. They didn't have, you know, mass tractors mowing down rainforests like they do now. And so if we go to today, they are clearing the rainforest really fast. The The UN, the United Nations, has, has done a survey, and they estimate about half of the world's rainforests have already been cleared. What a lot of these rainforests are being cleared for is, is agriculture, because we have such a huge population of people, you know, almost nearing 8 billion, and we need the land. We need the land to graze cattle. We need the land to, to raise crops. We need the land to, to, to feed people. So the rainforests are, are, are suffering because of it. So Brazil's a hot spot. You know, the Brazilian rainforest down there in the Amazon, they've lost close to 17% in the last uh, 50 years of their rainforest for pastures for cattle. 
And each year it's estimated about 50,000 square miles or 130,000 square kilometers of rainforest are cleared in the Amazon each year. And the rate right now is about 50 football fields are cleared every minute. That is insane. And the current estimates are the Earth's rainforests are estimated to be completely cleared in about 100 years. That is, you know, alarming because there's so many species in there. And just to give you an example, let's say in that 50 football fields worth of rainforest that's cleared every minute, you know, that's a territory for a jaguar. Okay, males or female, you know, they're solitary animals. So let's just imagine that's their territory. Well, when you take that away, that pushes that animal into their neighboring territory where that jaguar is now that had that territory is feeling encroached upon and is going to fight with this jaguar that just came into its territory. And they'll fight to the death because it's a life and death situation for them. You know, and then if they have cubs, the cubs get killed. I mean, it's just, you know, you can see with, you know, the poaching that's going on, you see with the, the oceans being uh, polluted, rainforest being cleared, and there's a lot of many, many issues how is having such a dramatic effect on wildlife. So again, it's this isn't to, to, to make you feel bad about being a person. This is to get you energized and excited about, okay, what can I do? And that's what we're going to be doing in this podcast is we're going to be talking a lot about what you can do, who you can support. So together we can make a difference and reverse these trends because they can be reversed. You know, we've done some harm to the environment, but now that the red light is on, we have to do something. And let me go into what really woke me up. This shook me to my core. And this this was roughly five years ago, six years ago. I was sitting in my office, a, a professor at the University of Florida. And I saw this study come across uh, my email. And it was titled, Has the Earth's Sixth Mass Extinction Already Arrived? And I was like, what? Okay. So this was kind of interesting. And it was published in Nature, which Nature is the number one scientific journal in the world. There's Nature and there's Science. They kind of go back and forth. But Nature is the one that everybody is like, okay, this one is the best. They they only publish the best information from the best scientists from around the world. And we all want to get a paper published in Nature, which I haven't gotten there yet. Maybe I will one day. But anyways, I read this study and it scared me. It scared me so much that I completely changed the research I was doing, the program I was doing, and I actually started thinking about doing this podcast a few years ago to to reach out to people. So let me just jump into the kind of the study and what it said and, and why this information is important to you, why you need to know about this, because we're living it. We're living in history, which it's not a good history, which is a little scary. I mean, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. You know, we're going to hopefully see Mars in our lifetime, you know, people colonizing Mars, whatnot. There's a lot of good that's going on on Earth, but there's some things that are suffering because of it. So we need to, to find solutions, right? That's that's the purpose here. So the Earth's sixth mass extinction. So, you know, my first question was, what's a mass extinction? And, and I thought, oh, the last mass extinction was the end of the Ice Age about 10,000 years ago, right? I mean, that's when we had mammoths and saber-toothed cats and some of these large megafauna, really, really huge animals. and I thought, wow, okay, that was a mass extinction, right? And and no, it wasn't. That wasn't a mass extinction. It was an extinction event where we did lose a lot of uh, megafauna, about 75% of all megafauna went extinct. You know, again, saber-toothed cats, mammoths, other things. And they think 
you know, scientists think it was either it was it was a it was a number of pressures similar to what's happening today, where you had climate change. You know, at the end of an ice age, so these animals were adapted to living in a cold environment. So all of a sudden, the the polar ice caps retreat. So less places for these animals to to live what they're used to living. They can't live where it's hot and and whatnot. So there was that pressure. So them dying off from that, and then they think humans with hunting and our as as we dominate the planet, these animals suffered and they went extinct. So it was a number of issues. But again, this wasn't a mass extinction. A mass extinction is defined as when Earth loses greater than 75% of all species, not just megafauna, but all species. So you're talking insects, fish, birds, amphibians, reptiles, mammals, in a very short geological time frame. Okay, So you're talking a million years. In a, in a geological time frame, that's short. To us, that's not. That's like, wow, really long. But in, in geological terms, that's a very, very short time frame. So the, the end of the Ice Age was not a mass extinction. To go back to the last mass extinction, you have to go back to, you know, what we all think of a Jurassic Park or the Cretaceous period with T-Rex. And what happened was a large meteor, or some people think a comet, slammed into the Yucatan Peninsula, again in Mexico, and it caused a rapid cooling of the earth, lots of problems for the animals, and they died out quickly. But that quickly took about 500,000 years to completely reach that 75% level. So, you know, we think, oh, wow, a meteor hits the Earth, that's it, done in, in a year or a couple months. No, it actually took, you know, half a million years, they think, to completely change, you know, the dynamic of Earth. So those dinosaurs all died out, and then mammals kind of arose, you know, with some other species, and, and we've kind of taken over since then which again took millions of years to get to where we are today, which again, our minds, it's really hard to wrap around some of these times. But the purpose, again, that was the last mass extinction. And then you go back, you know, I think it's like 200 more million years, and there was some other types of dinosaurs during the Triassic period. There was a mass extinction event there, and that took it took them like a couple million years to to die out. Then you go back to the Permian, Devonian, and Ordovician. I don't even know how to say that one. But you go back about 400 million years, and you, you hit all the other three. Okay. So five mass extinction events that are recorded in uh, geology. So how does that mean we're in the, the sixth mass extinction? So what do we know about our current extinction levels? That, that's the big question. If we look at... The, the background extinction rate, and that's what's normal, okay? So it is normal for animals to go extinct. We know that, and usually they're adapting into something new. So like I do a lot with horses, you know, previously before I jumped into doing a lot of this exotic animal research or wildlife research, and I know I can go back and look at a horse called Eohippus, which is about the size of a dog, and it lived about 50 million years ago. Well, that's where the horse originated from, you know, and this, this little dog grew into, or dog-sized horse grew into the large horses we have today. And that took about 50 million years, 45 million years. But Eohippus is extinct. That's normal. So it is normal for species to go extinct, but again, they're generally evolving. So the, the normal extinction rate 
for mammals is about two per hundred years. Okay, so that, that's about what you can expect. Two per 100 years should go extinct. In the last 100 years, 69 mammals have gone extinct. So the background rate of extinction, and then you throw in birds, fish, amphibians, and other species, some scientists are, are, are estimating it's about a thousand times the background rate. So again, defining what's a mass extinction, we're living it right now. You know, things like the Tasmanian tiger, and, and they think, you know, oh, we see these things on the news, cryptozoology, you know, maybe the Tasmanian tiger's alive. And there's a chance it may be, there may be uh, some of them running around there in Australia, but they went extinct in, in the 20th century. Caspian tiger, that's a real tiger, not the Tasmanian tiger. Tasmanian tiger is kind of like a, a mix of a dog and a it's a weird looking animal. You can look it up. Caspian tiger is a real tiger. You know, that's what uh, we think of a tiger. The Caribbean monk seal, extinct. Barbary lion, extinct. You know, I can list uh, a number of species uh, that, that went extinct in the last hundred years. When we look at this extinction rate, we estimate that it's actually faster. Animals are going extinct faster today than the previous big five extinction events. So let me say that again. Today, we're losing species faster than when that meteor hit the earth and killed T-Rex, which is really hard to fathom, you know, because we haven't had a meteor hit the earth. You know, knock on wood, hopefully it never, never, ever happens. We are losing species at a rapid rate, and we need to do something about it because in the end, we're actually going to hurt ourselves as humans. You know, you look at this tree of life, and when you start slashing limbs left and right, and you're cutting off whole trees of the family, and there's one limb left, and that's human, homo sapiens, that limb's going to die. That tree can't live. We need these other species just for our own sake. So in nature, there's a synergy with, you know, all these different species dependent on each other for survival. I mean, the environment, the microbes in the soil, the earthworms, the the trees, the, the seeding, the, the pollination, I mean, all these things, we all depend on each other. And so when you start taking these out, you know, you put in danger us. us. It's, that's what it stuns me is this is why this should be in the news every day because this is our own survival. And I'm already crying because I know or have a very, I'm very scared for elephants. That, that's a species I love. It's dear to me. And I really think they're going to be extinct in a hundred years. I mean, I, I'm, the African elephant, I think, is on the way out, and I don't know if there's anything we can do to stop it. It, it's, it, it makes me cry. It really does. It's really upsetting. Again, what can we do? What, what, do we have to, what do we have to do? You know, yeah, we know extinction rates, you know, about 40 times faster or up to 1,000 times faster background rate. What's causing this? You know, what, again, it's, it's a synergistic effect. It's, it's a lot of things coming together at once is why we're seeing so much pressure on so many species and so many species going extinct. One's habitat loss. It, it's as humans have gone and explored the earth and, and dominate the, uh, you know, the skyline with, with buildings and, and housing and new communities, all of that stuff. So habitat loss has been a big one where there's only about 25% of the wild remains of what was originally before we started taking over the earth. So there's only about a quarter of, of wild or nature that, that's remaining. Another big problem is invasive species. As humans, as we've gone around the earth, 
exploring, we've brought things with us, some purposefully, some not so purposefully, but, you know, we know like island nations in the Pacific where rats were never, or mice or anything like that were ever introduced, and all of a sudden they came on a ship. A ship crashed or they landed, and now there's big populations of rats, things like that. But, you know, I like to use Florida, where I'm currently living, as an example, because we have a huge problem in Florida. We're kind of a mixing pot, you know, kind of a, a, a neat place to, to kind of study this, where invasive species are, are, are wrecking havoc with the environment. But, you know, just an example, Burmese pythons, like that's a big thing we hear in Florida, is we have these huge snakes now in the Everglades that are, eating alligators and other native wildlife that have never ha had to deal with these large snakes. One thing I think is really, really interesting. I heard a talk a few years ago from a scientist and he was talking about frogs and frog songs and the different frequencies. And I asked him, wow, that's really interesting that, you know, these frogs all have different frequencies and that's how they find each other to mate because they can hear the different frequencies and identify which ones you know, they're listening for, and then they hop over and, and you know, play music to each other to, to have little baby frogs. So what happens when we have all these invasive species in Florida? We have a lot of frogs, like the Cuban tree frog's a big one here that, that everybody's like, it's, it's really invasive. It, it, it's really, rec you know, havoc with the native species. And when they, you know, what's the different frequencies of their song? If we bring enough in, are we really messing up all these frogs? Because amphibians are the one, you know, really when you look at this extinction problem, the one that has a lot of people the most worried. You know, I love elephants. I love, you know, the mammals, the large mammals, the ones you can see. But the amphibians are the ones that are really in trouble. I mean, really in, in deep, deep trouble. And that is scary. That is scary because something depend the, the environment depends on those animals to be there to make sure everything uh, runs normal, right? These amphibians eat bugs and other other things, and then something eats those amphibians. So when you take out the amphibian, you're taking out a big key piece of the, the circle of life. That circle's broken. How many other species are going to be affected? And, you know, to give you a, a good example of that, I like to tell the story of the black-footed ferret. Maybe we'll do a podcast on the black-footed ferret uh, one week because it's just a fascinating story. That was a, a ferret species here in the Midwest or the middle part of the United States. And the black-footed ferret, their main diet was prairie dogs. And in the 20th century, farmers and ranchers wanted to eliminate prairie dogs because they would ruin pastures or they would, you know, wreak havoc with crops and things like that. So there was a huge poisoning that went on, knocked down the prairie dog populations to, you know, really, really reduce the population. Well, consequently, the black-footed ferret, who depended on prairie dogs as their main source of food, suffered. And we thought they went extinct until, you know, roughly about 30 years ago, a, a rancher in Wyoming, his he was out on his porch and his dog came running up and dropped this animal at his feet. The dog was out hunting, you know, squirrels or something. And he looked down, and he couldn't identify what species it was. He saw it was a ferret. He didn't know what it was. Long story short, he took it to, um, to the authorities, and they identified it as a black-footed ferret. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this species has been extinct. Where did you find it? They went. They found a family of them. They captured all of the black-footed ferrets, brought them into captivity, 
and through a very concentrated breeding program, they were able to revive the species, and they've actually re-released them in the wild now. So it's, it's actually a big conservation success story, but it highlights what happens when you take out a major food source, right? So you affect more than just that one species. You affect a lot of species. Other things, uh, overexploitation. So we had habitat loss, invasive species, now overexploitation. You know, one of the things that's been in the news has been palm oil, huge growing crop in Asia. Uh, palm oil is, is actually helping the economies there, so it's a double-edged sword. You know, you're helping a poor, poor country actually, you know, earn money for survival, but, you know, the rainforests are suffering because of that. They're clearing a lot of forests, a lot of habitat loss. Like, you know, if you read about orangutans, what is really their pressure and it's habitat loss. They're losing where they live. And so they're, you know, under, under threat for extinction. Climate change is real. I'm sorry. It, it, it is. It shouldn't be a, a political discussion. It's real. It's happening. So that is, that is putting a lot of effect. And, and through the podcast, well, you know, give you examples. Um, I've been reading studies just on marine life because this is really where we're seeing a lot of effects of climate change. And that is that the patterns of sharks, where sharks are going to feed because they're chasing their fish. And where those fish are, as the water's warm, the fish are moving, and the sharks are moving with them. And so there's been a lot of studies of looking at where sharks are migrating, and they're, they're finding them in the areas they've never found them before because of climate change. The earth is getting warmer. And then so, again, when you, you have the synergist effect, you combine all these pressures, species are really having a tough time surviving. So that is the premise of the show, and we are going to discuss these issues with each species. You know, what's their current status? Where are they found? You know, what was their historical range? What is their current range? So we're going to bring you a new species each week. You know, we're going to talk a lot about mammals because that's Angie and I are really passionate about, but we'll do, you know, land, terrestrial animals, and aquatic. So, you know, maybe we'll, we'll pick some species of whale and dolphin and talk about some unique things with them. Uh, we'll cover some birds, maybe some reptiles and amphibians, just to kind of mix it up. You know, talk about what, like, I love poison dart frogs. So one of our, our uh, weeks will be about poison dart frogs. I just think they're gorgeous. They're just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful frogs. And what do they eat? You know, do they eat, just eat bugs? You know, how long do they live? Where are they from? Those are the things that, that we're going to bring in uh, into you, uh, into this podcast. Then we'll talk about you know, how they reproduce and, you know, how do they make more things like that. And then we're going to talk about what you can do. You know, how can you help? And we're going to give conservation tips each week, you know, recycling. If you recycle, you're, you're helping the environment. You know, conserving water, that's something we don't think about a lot of times. We let the, the sink run. I do it every day and I look at myself and I'm like, ah, what are you doing? Turn it off. Uh, energy use. I walk around my house now turning off lights because I'm like, you know, first of all, I don't want to pay the bill. Second, yeah, I'm burning energy for what? No one's in this room. Shut the light off. So we're just going to ask you to, to, to listen to the podcast, learn, and share. Um, you know, we're going to try to increase awareness. I think if we increase awareness and we build a community together, we can do something. That is that is our passion. That is what Angie and I are going to do. So we hope you subscribe to the podcast and you can provide us feedback. We have a website, allcreaturespod.com. And we look forward to uh, launching this with you in the next episode. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.